Hey everybody, hope you're doing well today. Today is Luther Week 2020 Part 4, which means this is the end of Luther Week. We are uh, going to close it up, uh, conclude it today, and we are going to move on next week to the theology of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, one of the great 20th century Christian writers, so we'll go to his theology next week, but uh, we're going to close the Luther Week 2020 this uh, today. We're going to continue talking about Luther's theology and Luther's impact, and so uh, look forward to doing that with you. Okay, so part four, which is actually part two of Luther's theology. The first two days, we talked a little, just a little bit of history, and uh, t- now we are talking about Luther's theology. Yesterday, we talked, we did part one of Luther's theology, and today we'll do part two. So the, the question came up yesterday about on the bondage of the will. And so what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Luther wrote a book on the bondage of the will, and what was he trying to say? Luther wrote this book uh, as a response to Erasmus. Erasmus was a Dutch uh, priest. He was a Catholic priest, and then he became a philosopher. Uh, and he was, he was kind of part of the, the counter-Reformation movement. He stayed Catholic his whole life, uh, but he was also part of the Northern Renaissance in, in, uh, in, in Europe. So he wrote some things on the will, and so Luther wrote a response. Okay, so what does Luther's response say? So I read read it last night and um, just kind of want to sh- share a little bit of it with you so that I can kind of explain this. And And I hope that when I do this, it makes sense. If it doesn't, please ask me questions. Please uh, send in comments and let me know. Okay, so first thing, uh, page 19 of Luther's uh, On the Bondage of the Free Will. Uh, so he's writing back to Erasmus, and he said... Um, the, the form of Christianity set forth by you, among other things, has this, that we should strive with all our powers, have recourse to the remedy of repentance, and in all ways try to gain the mercy of God. So he's quoting Erasmus there. He writes, these statements of yours are without Christ, without the Spirit, and more cold than ice. Perhaps a fear of the popes and those tyrants extorted them from you, their miserable vassal, lest you should appear to them a perfect atheist. Oh, geez. What they assert is this, that there is ability in us, that there is a striving with all our powers, that there is in, um, that there is mercy in God, and that there are ways of gaining that mercy. So basically, Luther's saying you cannot gain God's mercy. You do not have the ability to gain God's mercy. It's not within you. you. No human being can make God happy enough to be saved without grace, without God's mercy. So then he goes on, um, I'm on page 56 and 57 now. He says that uh, God promised certainly his grace to the humbled, but a man cannot be thoroughly humbled until he comes to know that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, his own counsel, endeavors, will, and works, and absolutely depending on the will, counsel, pleasure, and work of another, that is, of God only. For if... As long as he has any persuasion that he can do even the least thing himself towards his own salvation, he retains a confidence in himself. But he who hesitates not to depend wholly upon the goodwill of God, he totally despairs in himself, chooses nothing for himself, but waits for God to work in him. And such a one is the nearest unto grace, for he might be saved. So Luther is saying here, a lot of us want to think that we're going to get to heaven because of our faith in Jesus and God's grace, plus we're a good person, right? That they go hand in hand. 
Well, that Luther is saying, no, that's not true at all. It's all you 100% fully dependent on God, on the mercy and grace of God, 100%. You cannot, you cannot put any kind of confidence in your own ability to be a good person, which is what Paul writes in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. He says, For it is we who are the circumcision, circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence— if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, according to the law of faultless. So if anyone, if there's anyone out there who has a right to say, I can earn this myself, it's me, Paul. But I'm telling you I can't. I'm telling you it's not possible. Now kind of to get to the will part. Uh, page 60, Luther says that... Um, that basically we're born with a willingness and desire of doing evil. Uh, he cannot by, we cannot by our own power leave off, restrain, or change. Uh, but our will it goes on still desiring and craving. So we are born a sinful creature. right? We're going to get back to this later. Uh, and, and we cannot change ourselves. We cannot change ourselves from the sinful creature into something else. We cannot change ourselves from sin to doing what God does. He says, the will cannot change itself nor give itself another bent, but rather the more it is resisted, the more it is irritated to crave. This would not be the case if it were free or had a free will. The idea here, the idea here is this. You cannot choose between God and Satan. Then your will would be free. No, you were born into a sinful, broken world. You were born, you were born into the world that Adam created for us, or not the world Adam created for us, but, but into a, the broken society that Adam created through sin. Um, and so uh, our, our, our wills are bound to sin. We can't, we can't not sin. So then, but, again, on the other hand, when God works in us, the will, being changed and sweetly breathed on the Spirit of God, breathed on by the Spirit of God, desires and acts not from compulsion, but responsively from pure willingness, inclination, and accord, so that it cannot be turned away by anything contrary, nor be compelled or overcome even by the gates of hell. So when God, when the Holy Spirit comes into us, then we are transformed and we have the, uh, the ability to please God in life. Uh, and so uh, based, on, based on the Spirit coming upon us. So, okay, so then... Page 61. Uh, in a word, if we be under the God of this world without the operation and spirit of God, we are led captives by him at his will. The God of this world, he's referring to as Satan. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone, an apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant that they will repent and come to know the truth, and they may escape from the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So, for Luther, Satan and, and God were at each—I mean, they were going back and forth all the time. And uh, Satan was very present and trying to pull uh, pull people towards to, to his will. So— um, he goes on to say 61, thus the human will is, as it were, a beast between the two, a beast that is ridden, a horse, whatever. Um, 
If God sit there on, it wills and goes where God will. If Satan sit there on, it wills and goes as Satan will. So our wills uh, have a rider, and that rider is either Satan or God. And if we trust in God, and if you know the Spirit is in us, then we are going to go where God will lead us. Um, and so, okay, continue on page 62. And hence it follows that free will without the grace of God is absolutely not free, but immutably the servant and bond slave of evil because it cannot turn itself unto good. We cannot become good apart from God. But if we do not leave out this term altogether, we may nevertheless with a good conscience teach that it be used so far as to allow man a free will, not in respect to those things which are above him, but in respect only of those things which are below him. That is, he may be allowed to know that he has as to his goods and possessions, the right of using, acting, and emitting according to his free will. Although at the same time, the same free will is overruled by the free will of God alone, just as he pleases. But that Godward, or in things which pertain unto salvation or damnation, he has no free will, but is a captive slave and servant either to the will of God or to the will of Satan. Let's summarize here. When it comes to the things that we have, when it comes to the um, the things that we do, uh, you know, as far as the, that are under our control, we can say we have free will over that. When it comes to our salvation, it is God. It is God who does everything. We have no power to increase our uh, chances of being saved. We, everything comes from God. That's what Luther is saying. So uh, we can't decide to have faith. We can't decide to follow Jesus. We can't decide to gain God's mercy. We can't decide to save ourselves. That's what Luther is saying. When it comes to all the other stuff, our chairs, our couches, all that stuff, we have free will. We can choose what we drive. We can choose where we live. We can choose all that stuff. That, But when it comes to our relationship with God, it is 100% dependent on God's grace and God's mercy. He goes on to say, a Christian is completely free from the requirement of the law, but at the same time, is a, a Christian is the complete slave subject to all in love. So that's kind of one of those things where we say, well, what, what, what does he mean with that by that? So completely free from the requirements of the law. We're just talking about the Mosaic law, right? The idea that God gave the, under Moses, God gave the Israelites a law and said, if you do these things, you will be my people and I will be your God. And if you don't, I won't. And you won't be my people. Well, Luther is saying that's, we're free from that because we are saved by grace through faith, not from the law. So that's, sets, sets that aside. But at the same time, Christian is a complete save subject to all in love. It's a response. It's, I read the thing. Everything we do is a response uh, to God's love. We are loved, and so we share that love, and we serve others because that's what Jesus told us to do. That's what Jesus, uh, that's the example Jesus gave to us. He washed his disciples' feet. He commanded us to love our neighbor, and so we do that, and that is the Spirit working in us. Okay, I hope that helps. I hope that helps. Let's move on to some of the other things. So if you are a confirmed Lutheran, the next couple things you know. This is just kind of like, you know, the low-hanging fruit of, of, of Lutheran theology. Uh, so Luther believed that there are two sacraments. Sacraments uh, are just holy things. They're um, means of grace. Luther could only find two true sacraments commanded with physical elements in the Bible. So if a practice wasn't commanded in the Bible and it didn't have a physical element with it, Luther said it it's not a sacrament. It, it, it could be a good thing. The Catholic Church has seven sacraments. Uh, they include confirmation, ordination, marriage, last rites, and penance. And those are good things, 
but they're not essential for salvation. The sacrament, the Lutheran sacraments are commanded and they have a physical element with them, baptism and communion. Jesus said, therefore, go and baptize. And Jesus said, do this remembrance in me. So there were communion and baptism are commanded by Jesus. And there's something physical you can touch. You can feel it, right? You can taste communion. You can feel the, the water as it comes on our head. So, um, so baptism and communion. Now, a Lutheran baptism is different than other denominations. Lutheran, it's not a washing, but with the word of God, which is in and with the water, and faith which trusts the word of God, uh, it is a drowning. So this old Adam, right, this thing I just talked about in the bondage of the will, this old Adam, this sinfulness, this inability to please God, this whatever it may be, you know, this inability to do anything other than sin, is drowned out, and we die to that, and we all our sins and evil desires die with us, and then we rise to a new life, transformed. You know, this is kind of the, the rebirth that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. And so every day, we, Luther says to put water on your forehead, make the sign of the cross, and remind yourself of your baptism. Remind yourself that you are a new creation, uh, and live uh, do your best. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You are able to go out and to serve and to do all that you can uh, for the king's sake of the kingdom. So go and do that um, every day. Holy Communion uh, in the Lutheran Church is more than just a symbol. It's more than just a meal of remembrance. It's the physical eating of bread and drinking of wine. Uh, and when Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, Martin Luther says there's a real presence of Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine. So uh, we believe that Christ is truly present with us when we take communion, whether it be wine or grape juice, whether it be Hawaiian bread or wafers, whatever it may be, Christ is truly with us. We believe in something called consubstantiation, which means that Christ is with the substance. If um, I took Spanish a long time ago, and the way I learned it was the word con means with in Spanish. Uh, and so with the substance is Jesus. Uh, and the Catholic Church believes in something called transubstantiation, where the substance actually transforms. So when I teach this to the confirmation kids, I say, imagine a transformer, right? It, it's a car and then it becomes a guy who fights, right? That the the body and blood, of the, the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. And then other denominations uh, just it's a meal of remembrance. You know, Jesus said, do this remembrance of me. And so they do it in remembrance of him. Uh, but the, they don't believe that Jesus is uniquely present in the body and uh, in the bread and wine like we do. So that's what Luther's on the sacraments. Luther talked about the priesthood of all believers. Uh, so he says, all people are equal in God's sight. A priest is no different than anyone. The Pope is no different than anyone, except that he has been set aside for certain duties. Uh, he or she. Uh, everyone comes out of the waters of baptism a priest. They all come out with a call on their life. They have been called uh, by the Spirit for, you know, to take up a ministry uh, for the sake of Christ in whatever way and using the gifts that God has given you. So, there is no biblical basis then for priests to remain unmarried, for monasteries to exist, for churches to take orders from Rome. The way that Luther set up the new church was, so the old church, the Catholic church, was a, set up as a triangle, right? It was set up as a triangle with the Pope on top and then the cardinals and then, you know, at the very bottom were the, the congregations, the parishes. Um, the Lutheran church is a flip triangle with the bishops at the bottom and all the power is at 
uh, is at the top in the congregations. So congregations can call their own pastors. Cong- you know, a bishop cannot walk into Abiding Grace and fire me and say, I have to go because I said something that the bishop didn't like. Um, the, the bishop can do that if I have like a moral failure, but the power resides in the congregations where uh, in the Catholic Church it's flipped. And so Luther said that, you know, every Christian has the right, uh, the same rights as priests to go to God and to pray directly to God. Luther just kind of flipped the ecclesiology the way that the, the church works. So um, the, the priesthood of all believers, this is, I mean, the priesthood of all believers is an important theological statement, but it's even more important. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Stick around for a couple minutes and you're going to see how this theological argument that Luther made really changed the world. Uh, so stick around for a couple minutes and you'll hear that. Okay. Luther believed in the universal Catholic church. If you've ever been at Abiding Grace for a worship service, we, do, we, we say the Apostles' Creed, and we say the Catholic Church. And many people have asked, why do we say the Catholic Church? Well, we say it with a small c, because the word Catholic just means universal. Um, if it was a capital C, we would, we would be talking about the Roman Catholic Church. But the, the small c just says the universal church. So the Catholic Church, big C, taught that if a person was damned or kicked out uh, of the of the church, if they were excommunicated in the way Martin Luther was excommunicated, that that person was not going to be saved. That there was, you know, if once you're kicked out of the church, you are anathema. I mean, you you have no hope, right? Uh, but Luther believed that the church was a spiritual community, united in faith, bigger than just the church on earth, bigger than just a, one denomination, uh, bigger than what human beings think. Uh, the church is. And so we're united with faith, united in faith with all those who have died. So, so they're still part of the church, right? Um, the majority of the members of the church are in heaven already. And so, you know, we're all part of this connected to this, the, the communion of saints is, um, is, you know, the, the universal church. And so uh, Luther didn't believe that a human being or a church or, uh, or a human being or a bishop could tell somebody that they were kicked out and no longer had any hope. Uh, they, human beings don't have that right. So, okay, that's Lutheran theology. That's all we'll get into. There's so much more. We could spend a year doing this, going through the small catechism and the large catechism and the, um, the Book of Concord, but uh, we're not going to do that. So, okay, Luther's impact on the world. We said at the, we started this on Monday saying that Luther changed the world. Well, in what ways did Luther actually change the world? This is where we come back to the priesthood of all believers. Luther said, all people are equal in God's sight. And people believed him. Yeah, that's true, right? Luther was a man of great authority, uh, and people believed what he had to say. And so if all people are equal in God's sight in the church, well, that means all people are equal. And so this is, uh, they take this priesthood of all believers, and, and really it's, it becomes the basis for a human rights movement. And so Luther opened the door for everything from free enterprise to free speech to intellectual freedom that, I mean, sparked part of the the beginning of the Renaissance, people, new thoughts, new ideas. I mean, the world changes, and it starts with the priesthood of all believers. All people are equal in God's sight. And if that's the case, then, you know, what kind of freedoms does that mean for people? You know, that's kind of... A, I mean, you could see that in the Bill of Rights, in the U.S. Constitution. You know, this all kind of comes from uh, comes from Luther's theology. That's it, where it starts. It comes when they when when the pilgrims come here seeking religious freedom, and and when you know we start to organize here in uh, in America. You know, this 
some of Luther's stuff becomes uh, the way that Luther changed the world, you know, in, in the early 1500s becomes part of the, the documents of the United States of America by the end of the 1700s. Uh, so the world starts to change because of Luther. I mean, obviously, you know, there's other people who are doing re- re- reformers who are doing Protestant stuff all, all around the world. But, but this, I mean, this is a big deal. So as I said yesterday, Luther translated the Bible uh, and the Mass, the worship service, into German, into the language of the people. And so all around Europe, you know, Bibles and books are being written and the printing press, you know, Gutenberg, as I said, deserves a whole bunch of credit for this. But literacy rates skyrocket. Uh, People begin to learn to read. And Luther stresses the importance of reading and education and thinking for everyone Luther even did stress the importance for girls who at the time weren't taught to read. You know, girls, girls weren't educated. And Luther said, no, girls need to be educated. You know, girl, and so, uh, you know, literacy skyrockets, education skyrockets. You know, people start to learn more and people start to think for themselves. Uh, people start to read the Bible. Uh, they've never had access to it before. And so, you know, the world changes as people can read, right? You teach somebody to read and their life changes because... Their knowledge expands, their wisdom expands, and they uh, they have the ability to uh, you know to do anything. Luther brought uh, teaching the faith directly into the home with a small catechism, and he called upon parents to teach the faith to their children. Uh, he believed parents were totally accountable to God for their children's spiritual welfare. I mean, if you're a parent and you're listening to this, I hope uh, I you know I, I hope this is like you know this, but. You know, with the small catechism, Luther wanted families to talk about uh, his theology every night. He wanted to, as you sit around the dinner table, break out the small catechism. You don't have to read the whole thing. Just read a little bit of it. it but explain what everything means. If you read through the small catechism, you can explain the, what the Lord's Prayer means, what the Apostles' Creed means, what the Ten Commandments mean, about the, you know, the, the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of, of communion. Basically saying to the parents, you know, up until now, You've had to bring your kids to the church, and and the church would tell you what everything means. Well, now, do this at home. Have those conversations at home. Help your children grow in understanding and in faith. It's on you. I mean, it's it's you get to do this. You haven't been able to do this before. You get to do this, but now there's a responsibility, too. You are responsible for the spiritual welfare of your children. Take that seriously. That's a big deal. Uh, and then we need to talk about uh, kind of the dark side, um, which is the violence that came. Because whenever you have a change in the world, you know, most of the time it's going to be rebellion and that kind of thing and coups, right? So there's there's violence that comes with change. Uh, you we, we talked about the peasants' rebellion uh, uh, yesterday or the day before where, you know, 10,000 people died uh, as, as the peasants rose up against kind of the people uh, who had power. But the, the war between the Protestants and the Catholics in Germany was known as the 30 Years War. But I mean, th- there's still it's still going on in Europe. I mean, parts of, of Ireland are I mean, just within the last couple decades, people have been killing each other. Catholics versus Protestants. Right. It's the same war that started in the 1500s. But if you, I mean, this is also how Lutheranism came to America. Uh, if you look back at, at the history of, of the migration of, of Germans uh, to America, if you go back to the Salzburger migration uh, to, to Georgia in 1734, the Prince Archbishop 
von Fermian decided Jesus kicked all the Lutherans out living in Salzburg. He says, if you're a Protestant, get out. You're not welcome here anymore. And so they moved to Georgia. And so they brought their brand of German Lutheranism to Georgia. And uh, I was had the opportunity to uh, uh, to do a wedding at a Lutheran church, an old, old, beautiful Lutheran church in Savannah, Georgia, you know, that goes back to the 1700s. And just, you know, they're, they're people kicked out because of their faith. Uh, if you go back to the early 1700s, German immigrants established uh, Lutheran churches in New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland. I mean, you know, they're just coming over here and bringing their faith with them. The, uh, the first Lutheran church in America uh, was from immigrants from the Netherlands who were among the settlers on Manhattan Island. And so the congregation was formed there in 1648. So that's the, the first Lutheran congregation there. And then finally, uh, you know, it has to be said that Luther wrote some stuff about the Jewish people uh, that was very negative and things that today, if he were to say or tweet or write these things today, I mean, he would be, we would call him a racist and we would not, I mean, he would, nobody would follow him. But uh, he wrote those things. We, you know, as, as I said before, Luther's not perfect. Uh, he's a, um, he's a human being and we would not accept the things he said about the Jewish people. That the stuff he wrote about the Jewish people was used, has been used to justify everything from the Holocaust to white white supremacist groups here in America. And so the Nazis used many of Luther's writings and their propaganda as they rose to power in the 30s and murdered millions of people. So uh, there's, you know, not everything Luther did is great. And, you know, his theology, a lot of his theology is really good. Uh, you know, the problem with people who change the world is usually... Um, Usually they don't live to, to be old people. Well, Luther did. Luther lived, he survived, and he, uh, he had a place of authority. Uh, he, and, and all of a sudden he kind of became this grumpy old man who said and wrote things that um, were really inappropriate. And, and the things that we would say today that, you know, we just, we just, you can't say that. You can't say that. And so, but he, uh, he could, he got away with it. Uh, he was living in a different time and said inappropriate things. And uh, today we would say, no, you can't say that. So that is the end of Luther Week 2020. Next Monday, we start C.S. Lewis, the theology of C.S. Lewis. I am very excited about that. I love reading C.S. Lewis. I think that uh, he does a really good job kind of explaining the faith. So hope you'll join me for that. Have a great weekend. See you Monday or see you Sunday and take good care of yourselves. Bye.